20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast, along with the Packers Wire. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I'm joined once again, different day, different time, but the same Paul Brettel. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, great to be back chatting with you, especially in a very fun week of Packers football discourse. Yeah, no kidding. It's been, I mean, this last month of Packers football has been a lot of fun, especially compared to the first half of the season, as we all know. So always happy to be joining you and talking Packers, Andy. Yeah, it should be fun. I know we're a little bit later in the week. It feels like already forever ago that the Packers Mm -hmm. took on the Chiefs and had that amazing win. And we're getting ready for Packers Giants, which, of course, we're going to discuss towards the end of this episode. But wanted to obviously haven't had the chance to talk with you yet. So just kind of wanted to get your key takeaways from that win. Yeah, just kind of 30,000 foot view of what we saw take place. The on both sides of the ball, the offense's ability and the defense's ability to respond in that second half, I thought just shows, you know, we see the growth of this team in terms of ability to move the ball, ability to put up more points and execution standpoint. But in key moments when the offense specifically is able to come up with that touchdown drive, uh, you know, cause that end of half situation looked like they were going to be able to put up at least a field goal. Didn't even get that opportunity. Chiefs start with the ball in the third quarter, go down and score. Like that's a really pivotal point in the game. Offense then goes down, responds with a touchdown of their own. And then in that fourth quarter, after the Keyshawn Nixon interception, again, weren't quite able to fully put the game away with the touchdown, but did pretty close to that. You got a field goal to make it an eight point game. And also, maybe not quite as important, but right up there is they took off, what, four minutes off the clock, yeah. gave the Chiefs just over a minute. Like, to me, this is a team that's learning. We hear the term learning how to win. Like, that's what that is. That's what that execution is. It's one thing to be able to go out and you take a commanding lead right away, kind of like they did in Detroit. Um, I know the Lions made it close at the end, but it's another to have to respond kind of throughout the game, especially in the second half. And the the offense did that as part of their growth. And the defense wasn't pretty, but somehow they 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 just managed to, you know, keep points off the board. And to their credit, they had some key stops as well. They had uh, two red zone stops. And in the fourth quarter, they forced a punt. And then that Keyshawn Nixon interception as well. So just a great team effort in that second half when the Chiefs were, looked like at a few different instances, looked like they could have, taking at least taking the lead and control that game. Yeah. The defense is a little bit, a little bit Jekyll and Hyde. I think you take it overall in the whole, um, you know, and what they were able to accomplish in that game. You know, you look at the, the, obviously the field goal drives to start the game and just keeping them out of the end zone and the big red zone sacks, they were able to get on those drives. Even on one of the touchdown drives, they hold the two point conversion, which was a key play in that game and, and definitely could have changed some things. And then you also get, um, the stops at the end, like you mentioned, the three and out, the Keyshawn interception, and then the stop on the final drive. So definitely in some key moments, they stepped up big. Wish it maybe would have been a little bit like that's a tough offense to play against, even though I know KC is not their usual juggernaut self. Nobody's looking forward to playing Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, Isaiah Pacheco, that offensive line every single week. Like that's always going to be a tough matchup. And I think overall they did their job. What kind of struck me as you were talking is, I've had the opportunity now throughout the course of this week to ask this question to a variety of different people. You know, I've obviously asked it to um, 
you know, to Sam Monson, I asked it to Carmen Vitale and Mike Wall and Justice Mosqueda and everyone else who's been on this week. And what struck me is, I think with all those people asking that same question, I think everyone's given me a different answer of what their key takeaway has been for that Packer game, which just kind of goes to show you, like, this isn't just like a one trick, like they're, they're doing one thing well and they're kind of winning because of that. They're doing a lot of things well. They're learning in real time. They're getting better in real time. And it's just kind of really fun to watch them grow and progress as we see them every single week. And now the challenge is going to become, don't take a step back. Keep trying to keep those incremental steps forward. doesn't even necessarily have to be anything crazy, but just keep that momentum going because you never know when the, the switch can flip in the opposite direction. And I think that's going to be the one of the big keys to this week as we get to that is just keeping status quo and working as hard as they've been working. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, what... You know, that's kind of the next question for this team. These last two weeks, is that the ceiling for 2020, 2023 and kind of where they're at? Or is that, you know, is there another step or two above that that they're going to be able to unlock? That's what's going to be fun to kind of parse out through the remainder of this year. And as we get into 2024 as well, uh, you wrote a great article about the offensive versatility of this team. And I think that was definitely one of the key takeaways from this one. It's been a theme, not just in the Chiefs game, but over the course of, I would say, last three, four weeks is getting some more players involved, having them be a little bit more specific and, um, you know, just kind of focused with how they're using some of these players. But I'll let you kind of go into a little bit more what you wrote about this week. Yeah, so to rewind to to training camp, and I'm sure I talked to you on the sideline about this, but just watching the practice unfold, I know to do it to a degree, it's we got to get these guys reps, but the tight ends, the running backs, the receivers, like just the the interchangeability that they have, the ability to move guys around. Like over the summer, it's like, man, LeFleur has like endless combinations at his disposal in terms of who he's going to put on the football field. And, you know, we didn't see that nearly as prevalent as has been over the last, you know, three, four games, but especially in that Chiefs game, I saw a stat that I think the Packers used motion on 61% of their snaps in that game. But a ton of different uh, formations, personnel groupings, uh, more design touches, which is becoming more and more regular for them, but a real emphasis on it for design touches behind the line of scrimmage for Jaden Reed and Christian Watson in that game. The motion paired with the misdirection is a great way to help, you know, uh, take away some of that some of that bite from a blitz heavy defense like the Kansas City Chiefs are. So, you know, I thought that what we saw from Matt LaFleur from just the eye candy standpoint, everything that took place before the ball was even snapped, I thought was tremendous. And that buzzword illusion of complexity that we always hear him talk about, like that's, that's what that is. It's that, you know, ability to run a variety of plays from just a few personnel groupings. So you're able to find those mismatches. It's plays that start out looking similar, but end up, end up, end up very different. And we saw all that on display and, a lot of that just goes back to trust because we we can ask ourselves, you know, why were they doing it? And why weren't they doing this early on in the season when, you know, things weren't working? Why is it now? And maybe was there the opportunity for more of it? Sure. But it goes back to trust. And Matt LaFleur talked about this a little bit after the game, you know, between Minnesota and today, what's the biggest difference? And it's trust, it's experience. You know, if quarterbacks, receivers, any of those skill position guys, if they can't handle their you know, for lack of a better term, basic responsibilities that they have down in and down out, the coach isn't going to all of a sudden start adding more to their plate and now ask them to go 
you know, but move from outside to inside, vice versa, move around the formation. You know, you got to show that you can handle your specific responsibilities before you're going to get more opportunities and more of those responsibilities added to your plate. And that's what we've seen the last month with just the growth of this unit. Matt LaFleur, the coaching staff, they now have the trust the confidence in those skill position players in Jordan Love to handle those additional responsibilities to go out there and execute. Because, you know, when you're running the wrong routes, when you're dropping passes, like I said, the coach isn't just going to all of a sudden say, all right, hey, let's let's go, you know, add this to your plate now as well. It's the uh, nailing those key aspects down in terms of what you're supposed to do. And then you're going to get more opportunities elsewhere. And I think that's been a key development, or I know that's been a key development for this offense. And like I said, it all goes back to the trust and their ability to execute on what they should be doing. And now there's more opportunities elsewhere. What a difference to from now to earlier in the year when we were talking about, you know, kind of after some of the Broncos and Raiders game where mm-hmm. it's like, well, Matt's not calling a great game. And I'm like, what, what exactly do you want him to call? If he calls a run, they can't block anyone. If he calls a screen, they haven't executed a screen all season long, it felt like at the time. <laughs> if he calls a pass, like the guys are running the wrong routes, they're running into each other. It's not like everything felt like there's not anything on the play sheet that you could really go to and feel ha- like have a good confidence in it. And now you watch this game and this team against the, the Chiefs and against the Lions and Matt's like, everything's on the platter. Like he could have called anything and it felt like they were going to go out and execute it. And like out of nowhere, like out of just like, there was not, it wasn't even like this easy progression of like, Oh, they went from really bad to bad to like kind of bad to average to a slightly above average to good to great to like, they went from like, I don't know if this team knows how to run an offense to like, oh, they're extremely dangerous and nobody wants to play this team's offense in like the blink of an eye. So that's been really fun. I want to touch on two other things that you mentioned though. All the formations, the motions, the groupings. One of the things I'm going to be really interested in with Matt is we've seen this at times before from Matt and he does this and then like it'll all of a sudden kind of go away for like a week, like randomly, or maybe mm-hmm. even a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden things get a little bit more stagnant. It's a lot of 11 personnel. It's a lot of, and I get that every game has a game plan and you're always a little bit nervous. If you run some of the same stuff, they're going to have scouted it and watched it. And now they're going to have solutions for it. I understand all that, but I love when this is the offense, when it's multiple, when it's motion, when it's formations that are, like you said, using the illusion of complexity and using different players doing the same stuff, a lot of different personnel groupings. This is when this offense, to me, over not just now, but over the Aaron years, at any time in the Matt LaFleur era, when they get going like that, that's when they're most dangerous. And I want to see even more of that. Don't go away from it because it works really, really well. And then the last thing I'll say is I really love how Brian Gutekunst went shopping for this offense. And what I mean by that is he used every aisle in the department store, Mm -hmm. grocery store, whatever we want to call it. There is a little of everything that Matt LaFleur has at his disposal. You've got the Christian Watson, the big, fast, physical guy. You've got the possession guy in Romeo Dobbs, more of a blocker, physical guy in Malik Heath, the gadget speed guy in Jaden Reed, the route runner in Dontavian Wicks, the speed big tight end in Luke Musgrave, kind of your wide tight end. You've got your traditional overall, does a little bit of everything tight end in Tucker Craft, more of a blocking tight end in Ben Sims. You've got some H-back fullback types. You've got Mm -hmm. a you, once Aaron Jones is back, you've got more of a speed slash 
you know, agility type back that can do a variety of different things, catch the ball to the backfield. You've got your third down blocker in Patrick Taylor. He has pretty much everything. Now, run blocking still needs some work overall. I think we know that. The offensive line isn't perfect. I get it. But, like, he went shopping for all different flavors at wide receiver, tight end, running back, H-back, fullback. And now Matt has anything that he wants to call. He can use a variety of different personnel groupings and get it done. And my favorite thing over the course of the past few weeks is using those players with intentionality and with specific roles in mind. And that's to me is one of the big things that this offense has done over the past month. Yeah. I I love that analogy and we'll get into it at the end when we get to the giants game, but I'm really curious to see how, Matt LaFleur specifically, but the offense as a whole responds against the Giants from a game planning standpoint because New York's coming off their bye and, you know, the Chiefs blitz a lot, but Wink Martindale blitzes even more. And the, you know, everything we just talked about is a product of the players that Matt LaFleur has at his disposal. But like we talked about, the misdirection, the motion, those are things that can help take the bite away from a blitz. So we know the Giants are watching that. We know that they're game planning for what the Packers just put on tape from that standpoint. So how the Packers now counter that, how they try to do things maybe a little bit differently. I'm going to be really curious to see. And we'll get to the, well, we can just talk about it whenever, because that's what we can do here. But um, the other thing that goes along in hand in hand with that is Jordan was masterful at using the hard count to, to get tells as to when they were going to blitz, bring pressure, go single high, go too high and get reads on it. Pre-snap. It changes entirely if you have to at any point in New York go silent count and you can't use the hard count to get those tells. And like those things can change the game a lot. And it just it's hidden things. It's not anything that you're executing post snap, which, again, it can always kind of go under the radar a little bit. But if he doesn't have the ability to use that hard count and get the defense to tell or like vice versa, Wink Martindale, that entire giant staff, they just saw that. Jordan used the hard count. So like you could see like, all right, let him use the hard count. We're not going to go and we're not going to tip our hand at all. And then like, once he doesn't check anything now come up and bring that pressure or do the, your disguise mm-hmm. or whatever you're going to do. If there's going to be a cat and mouse game there. And then Matt might counter and say, Hey, go to the huddle and just call the snap right away. Mm-hmm. And then the defense might be caught off guard too. Like I'm so excited just to see the, the really nerdy football stuff in this game to see how both the teams handle that. Mm-hmm. Matt LaFleur always uses the term. It's a chess match out there. That's what that is. That's a hundred percent what that's going to be big time. All right. Another thing that you touched base on this week from an offensive standpoint was just the improved running game and how they've been able to use play action off of that. Yeah. So, uh, 41% of Jordan Love's snaps in that Chiefs game came off play action. He's 12 of 15, 9.1 yards per attempt for a touchdown. And, you know, that performance has been a culmination of what's been taking place over the last month. Love ranks ninth in completion rate, second in yards off play action, and first in completions off of play action. Going back to that Rams game, so over a five games uh, sample size right now. And of course, to truly have effective play action, you need a more effective or better performing run game. And the Packers have gone from averaging, and I know these numbers are slightly skewed because there's the, the you know the Jaden Reed, the Christian Watson run, some love scrambles. But in general, you get the idea. The Packers' first five games of the year, they're averaging 4.1 yards per rush as a team. Over the last five games, they're averaging 4.7. Just shows the you know overall growth that they've had in that regard. And Elton Jenkins said after the game, just to you know provide some perspective in terms of what the guys on the field are seeing like when there's that run game to lean on, when you have the ability to then have the pass game with play action play off of that, like the offensive line greatly benefits. I mean, we all know that, but just hearing Elton Jenkins talk about it, how 
you know, one, there's the aspect of wearing the opponent down when you're able to, you know, run the ball for four quarters. There's the element of that pass rush slows down. Like if they're having to defend both the run and the pass, the the edge rusher, whoever it may be, can't just go from point A to point B. You know, there has to be that split second of identifying the recognition of what's taking place. And in the NFL, that that's that's a lifetime, you know what I mean? Especially for a you know an offensive line and 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 the offense as a whole in that situation. And a product of the the run game, the play action, and you know, again, it's a product of it. These aren't the sole reason for it, but we've seen a much more effective downfield passing game for this Packers offense. And that, you know, like, like I said, they're not the f- sole contributors to it, those run and play action, but it's a key element of it. And Jordan Love is second in completions on pass attempts yards or on pass attempts of 20 or more yards during that same five game stretch play action opens up opportunities over the middle yards after the catch opportunities basically everything that we're seeing this offense exploit right now you know you can trace back to the the added success that they're having in the run game right now and this offense off play action has been really really effective and that's that was something i wrote about over the summer because Looking back at Rodgers' numbers off of play action last year, like they were, they were good. But in terms of what you hope for off of play action, is you see this bump in completion percentage, this bump in yards per attempt compared to when you're not running play action. Rodgers' numbers last year, they were almost equal. Like the Packers as an offense, as a unit, weren't seeing that bump like they are now, where Love's completion percentage is up around 10% higher. His yards per attempt are up, you know, that across the board. You're seeing the true effect of what play action can do for an offense with this unit right now. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday, and then you can get ready for football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. For me, I have the same order every single time. I'm going with their hot and ready pizza, pepperoni, no questions about it, and more importantly than anything else, Always, 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 always get the crazy bread. It is, in my opinion, the best food that you can get on the market. I'm not joking. I love crazy bread. Love, love, love crazy bread. Get it every single time. You win when you get crazy bread. And speaking of winning, literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. Hey, friends. I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin-Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found GameTime. GameTime is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. GameTime is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using GameTime. 
stress-free. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download GameTime today, last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, you really are. And I think Matt deserves a lot of credit here for a variety of things. One, you mentioned at the onset there of it's not just Dylan and the running backs. It's Jordan Love. It's the wide receivers. It's Jaden Reed. I think when we think of a traditional play action game, which is is clearly still a huge chunk of what you're talking about, but it's like the I formation, you fake the handoff, you get back and you throw it on field. But there's a lot of stuff out of shotgun, out of read. There's a lot of stuff where even like this isn't necessarily like um, a a fake handoff on a jet sweep or anything, but like just the motion that they've been able to use with Jaden Reed and Christian Watson and some Mm -hmm. of that is getting motion going one way. They fake the toss on the one play and then, Tucker Crafts coming open on the crosser on the other side. Like it's not necessarily all just traditional play action too. It's just, it's everything. It's all the bells and whistles. When you heard illusion of complexity, like this is it. It's just all the eye candy that the mm-hmm. defense has to sort through. I can't even remember how many times I counted a safety or a linebacker for the chiefs having that oblique moment of like, <laughs> like, like when they're going one way, they're, they're streaming one way. And then all of a sudden they got to flip into a 180 and go back the other way. And there's like multiple times in the game, including the touchdown to, to Ben Sims, where just like guys are like just completely lost because green Bay's throwing so much at them. And it's like I said, I, I'm going to say it again. It's just really, really fun to watch. Yeah. hundred percent. I wanted to touch base on one more thing, though. You you did mention the improved running game, and obviously we talked they're doing it a bunch of different ways. Haven't really had the opportunity much to talk about him lately, so I want to kind of bring him up here, and that's the play of AJ Dillon. And like, it's he's such an interesting player in like because I'm watching Isaiah Pacheco in this game and some of the things that he's doing in the run game where you like he has that play where Anthony Johnson kind of takes the bad angle to him, but he jumps to the cuts to the outside and gets that big gain down the sidelines, and it's just like man, the ability to be dynamic like that, play with speed and power, like Green Bay definitely, I still feel like could use something like that where it's just a little bit more energetic, a little bit more explosive. I think you need some of that as well. And I do think Green Bay is missing a piece of that. But at the same token, 
what AJ Dillon has been bringing to this team, his brand of physicality, his ability to kind of move the pile. Like I like he had what 4.1 yards per carry, something like that, or at least the, the running backs did, I think this week, mm-hmm. but I think, I think like a, a long of like 10 yards and it's, like the reason you can average that much without getting a big gain is because you're consistently getting three, four or five yards on every run. And that's tough running. This offensive line is still not opening these big gigantic holes or giving them massive room to succeed, but he's finding little alleyways. He's finding little creases. He's moving the pile. He's pass protecting. Well, he's catching the ball out of the backfield. Like he's doing a lot of really good things for this offense. Not always the sexiest, not always the most explosive, but pretty darn effective right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just, I, I love the Packers game plan just right out the gate. Like you could tell in that first quarter, first half is we're going to run the ball. And for an offense that has struggled to do that for much of the season, um, you don't necessarily know if that's the approach they're going to take. But against this Chiefs defense, like that was the way to go. They're giving up 5.6 yards per pass, but 4.7 yards per rush on the ground. Like that was how to get after this unit. Packers came out and did that. Like with, like you said, AJ Dillon's brand of physicality and, I asked him after the game, and I really like this story because it was just kind of a peek into the the mindset of what he's he's going for. But over the summer, you know, AJ Dillon talked about it. Lafleur, Ben Sermons, his his point of emphasis was on a lower pad level. Like that was one of the big things for him this summer. I asked him about it during training camp, and then that conversation led into how his his word for the year for himself is rather than trying to be perfect, like was the case last year. He wanted to be dominant. And that perfect is something that obviously Dylan referenced, Ben Sermons' reference. I'm sure anyone out there who's played sports before, regardless of what it was, when you're out there and you're overthinking, you're not letting your practice reps take over your natural abilities, that's when things can go, go awry. And that's what Ben Sermons wanted to see more from, from A.J. Dillon, just letting his natural abilities take over and do what he knows how to do. So I asked A.J. Dillon, I said, how – you know, over the last month, have you achieved that more dominant approach? And for him, he said it's just all about the mentality. Part of that that perfection that he was trying to chase was he admitted looking ahead a little bit, you know, rookie contracts coming up, what's coming down the pipeline. And now it's more the mentality of what am I doing on this day specifically? Who's the next opponent? And nothing beyond that. And part of that mentality, he goes, I've never worn eye black in my career, high school, college, NFL. But prior to the Lions game, he saw a TikTok video about uh, racing horses that wear the blinders, block out the noise, or not the noise, but the crowd, the the other horses, everything around them. And so he said prior to the Lions game to get into that right mentality, he took the eye black and put some blinders on them again, just to really emphasize and get home what he's trying to accomplish. And we're seeing that on the football field, you know, that, you know, that less thinking for lack of a better term or phrase, he's more decisive. We're seeing a more explosive, a more powerful AJ Dillon. He's gone from averaging three yards per rush through the first half of the season to now 4.2 uh, over the last five. And like you said, obviously we want seven, eight, 10 yard runs, but if you're getting three or four a pop, that's keeping you ahead of the sticks out of those obvious passing situations that spell just absolute doom for this offense for such a large portion of the season. And PFF tracks yards after contact. He's up almost a full yard in that stat as well over these last five games compared to the start of the season. So we're seeing that uh, additional burst, additional physicality from him, And the weather's turning as well. It's December here in Green Bay. So A.J. Dillon season. AJ Dillon season, Matt LaFleur season, the the yep. new December uh holiday seasons, I guess. But yeah, I think too, 
to your point with even like the pad level and things like that, you could see him legitimately like thinking at times when he was getting to the line of scrimmage. It wasn't natural. It wasn't just like having a feel for the game. I remember the fourth and one where like he stumbles and he like gets knocked down and they don't get, I think it was a fourth and one, neither of that or a third and one, but doesn't pick it up against Atlanta. And like, you could almost like tell, like he was trying to get low and get his pads low, but like he stumbles and he falls down and he comes up short of the sticks. And it was just like, at some point you just got to go and bully some people. And I think that's when Dylan's at his best is when he's, you know, obviously having the vision, finding the holes. He had a great cutback this week into an alley that was picked up a big gain. And then, you know, just kind of playing that physical punishing brand of football and not overthinking it. And he's done that as of late. And it's been really, really fun to watch as well. I keep saying that, but it has, it's been it's mm-hmm. legitimately crazy how things have changed over the course of the season. I wanted to talk about another player on the defensive side of the ball that I haven't had a chance to give too much love to this week and definitely deserves it. And that's Keyshawn Nixon. Keyshawn's been a really interesting player this year to kind of keep track of. I don't think he's the most pure cover guy in the world. I don't think he's the most physically dominating or intimidating guy. I, I definitely have, uh, and going into this game, he was actually my lowest graded defensive player on the season. But at the same time, it wasn't like anything where there've been corners in the past for green Bay and we don't need to name names where they're out there. And you're just like, how is this guy out there? And it was, it's never been that way for Keyshawn. He's constantly competing. Like in like, no matter what, like there's never that feel of like, Oh, they're targeting Keyshawn and it's just going to be a really long day at the office. Like I, I like having him out there more often than not, even though he's not grading the best or whatever, I felt like he really earned this type of game. And it was like, it just felt like it was coming. And to have that big play at that moment, which in my opinion, changes the entire complexity of that game. I'm not sure if Green Bay wins without that interception. Tough to say what would have happened from there on out, but that was the arguably the biggest play in the game, and he's earned it with the kind of work and time that he's put into playing that position. Yeah, I just love the the mentality, the the energy that he brings to that to that defensive side of the ball, and, and like you said, the Chiefs they were they were at midfield. There's five ish minutes left in the game at that point, like. <laughs> it's swinging in the balance and Nixon played that play perfectly. You know, he said after the game that through watching, you know, the mannerisms of uh, Patrick Mahomes on tape throughout the week, tendencies to, you know, he said that he tapped his leg and, you know, knew what play was coming. I think I saw something where Mahomes was asked about that and said he denied that it. he, yeah, exactly. But regardless of what went on in terms of that pre-snap and what Nixon knew what was coming because he's lined up in the slot. There's a receiver on the boundary or out wide, I should say. And like that receiver, he was running a pick. Like that's what that was. It was to get in the way of Keyshawn Nixon for the slot receivers route. But like Nixon went over the top of it. He finished the receiver's route that he was running. Like he ran it better. He was in a better position to make a play on the ball. Like regardless of, what happened with the mannerisms, whether he's there was, there was not something like he knew what was coming. You could tell by how he initially reacted, got over the screen and then was just positioned perfectly to, to make the play on the ball. And, you know, he said afterwards that he should have three interceptions this year, but is happy to get the one off of Patrick Mahomes. And like he said, came at a huge moment. That's a, that's a, a football that you keep after that. And I think the other thing that deserves credit too, it's whatever the the tell was on tape that he picked up on and whether it was real or not, he read it. He made the play. I mean, it doesn't feel like that's just like, that'd be like the luckiest like misread of a tell ever that you completely ran the route for him, like off of a mistell. Like that doesn't seem, so he, he saw something on tape. He used it against them, but not just that 
but actually coming up with the pick because how many corners have we, that's like, it's not, yeah, Mahomes kind of threw it to him and, and Keyshawn ran the route for him, but that's still like almost like an over the shoulder, mm-hmm. like fingertip catch. And how many corners have we seen have some of those opportunities and it just bounces right off their hands or they don't make the play. He read the route, made the play, didn't hesitate, then came up with the catch and just an all around phenomenal play from Keyshawn Nixon. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Uh, let's let's transition to Packers Giants. I want to get into a little bit more of that game. Um, I'll let you kind of kick things off, and you know some of the big things that you're going to be watching for in this game. Yeah. So for me on the for the Packers defense, it's it's Saquon Barkley. You know, one can they slow him? Which of course is always going to be the question. But how do they go about slowing him? Is what I'm more curious about. And what approach do do they take? I I saw. I think it was you who made the comparison to the Steelers game, and I think that's yep. just the perfect example of this like you want to make Tommy DeVito and that Giants offensive line be in pass protection you want to make him be the one to beat you rather than you know the other way around where they're able to move the ball in the ground game because put the put the game on his arm this Giants offensive line has struggled massively in pass protection you know especially as of late with DeVito at quarterback so the Packers can find a way to slow Barkley and overall this hasn't been this high powered rushing attack that the Giants have either they're averaging 3.9 rush per yards as a team on the year although we've seen other teams like that still find success against Green Bay. So take that for a grain of salt and what it's worth to you all. But, you know, for me, it's how does Joe Barry respond? Do we see a bit of a more, you know, I I never use the word aggressive with Joe Barry. I use, I go with less passive. Do we see a less passive version of this defense trying to shrink the field, play closer to the line of scrimmage? I look back at that Raiders game. That was the game after the Lions rushed for 200. Matt LaFleur says we got to change our philosophy I felt like in that game specifically, you go against Jimmy G, they have Josh Jacobs, they want to run the ball. When Jimmy does throw, it's a lot of short area throws over the middle. Like There is more of that kind of condensed defense to try to limit that, even though they were going up against Devontae Adams. So I would like to see more of that style of approach. Put this game as best you can on Tommy DeVito's arm. And this goes on the players as well. Uh, Following that Steelers game, you know, Matt LaFleur talked about how you know, it's not like we just sat in cover two the whole time. We were in cover one. Guys were in the in the in the wrong gaps, missing their assignments. He said that again after this Chiefs game. After Pacheco, I think averaged six yards per rush. He's like, again, we played quite a bit of cover one, but guys were not in the right spot. And to a degree, that's just a product of you got two day three rookies on your interior defensive line that you are relying on heavily. And Jerry Montgomery, he said this today, and he said this earlier in the season as well. What they're missing on that defensive front when things go wrong is there isn't that, there isn't that eraser. There isn't that guy to come in and help, you know, clear out or clear or limit where the mistake has come from. And so the mistake is just there. There's this void and opponents have been able to take advantage of it. So on the defensive side of the ball, that's the big thing I'm going to be watching. We all know slowing the run game is important make the offense one dimensional, all that, but specifically do we see a less passive version of this Packers defense to try to limit that run game and put the game in Tommy DeVito's hands? Totally agreed. Could not have said it any better. And I'll just add on top of that too. And you kind of, you know, were hinting at this as well. That Giants offensive line is not good. Like if this is a game where your defensive front can just get the job done, and I'm not saying they shouldn't drop an extra safety in the box. I totally think that they should again, make Tommy DeVito beat you, but at the same token, I want to see Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, Enigbare, LVN, 
Kenny Clark, TJ Slayton, Devontae White, all those guys, Brooks, Wooden. I want to see those guys getting off of blocks and making plays because this is not a great Giants offensive line. There are ways to win against them. They should not be dominating you at the point of attack. There should not be huge holes for Saquon Barkley. And then the other thing, to your point and to the Packers coaching staff's point, there are a lot of times this year, we saw it against the Chiefs on numerous occasions where there were guys there to make a play and they just didn't make a play, whether it was taking a bad angle that's not wrapping up not gang tackling, not rallying to the football, whatever it might be. There's a varying degree of things that have gone wrong in run defense. When you're 30th in the league in rush defense, you're averaging or allowing an average of 4.5 yards per carry, which somehow is actually 0.5 yards better than it was a season ago, which seems insane, but um, it, it just isn't good enough and they have to be better. And like, if, if we are going to say like, Hey, this is a playoff caliber football team and you want to go into the playoffs and, not get embarrassed. If you end up with the seven seed, you're likely playing Philly or San Francisco. Like you better learn how to stop the run or you're going to do all of this just to take a trip to the East coast or West coast and get 250 yards run on you. If you don't end up fixing some of this stuff. So can't think of a better time than now to fix that run defense and show like, Hey, if this is our biggest weakness, we're going to fix it right now. And then like, we're really going to be something to to kind of worry about on both sides of the football. Yeah, absolutely. And one other Shout out, I guess, for lack of a better term, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Preston Smith. Yeah. His play this season has very much gone under the radar. And Jason Rebrovich, uh, pass rush game coordinator coach, spoke today. And I asked him about that. I said, you know, from the outside, you know, it's Rashawn Gary, it's Lucas Van Ness garnering all the attention. Preston Smith is putting together a nice season. I just, you know, kind of a general question. What have you seen from him this year? And Rebrovich went on for two, two and a half minutes about Preston Smith and about nine, about 10% of it was about his play, his production on the field. The other 90% of it was about the leader that he is talking about how he's a, just a massive resource for the young edge rushers in the room. Rebovich even, you know, cracked a little joke about, you know, he's nine years in the league. Sometimes I go to him for some advice on things. So I just thought that that was really cool to hear about Preston Smith and just his role on this team outside of what he's done on the field specifically. Cause again, it's an odd year. It's 2023. He's playing like it. So it's been, you know, we're seeing it, but he's one of those guys I feel like just throughout the course of the season has been flying under the radar, you know, outside of that building in terms of what he's doing on the field. And you could just tell the, you know, how much he means to that defense, obviously that edge rusher room with what he brings in the locker room and those other, you know, intangibles outside of the production. So clearly what they need to do, release him in the off season, kind of get him off of the salary cap, let him play somewhere else in 2024, which he won't play well because it's an even year. And then that team will release him. And then in 2025, probably for his last hurrah, you can pick him up probably on a vet minimum or something near it. And he'll have one of the best seasons of his career again, because it's an odd year. So this is a very easy solution for, for Brian Gudikins going forward. You're welcome, Brian. If you're listening, I know you're listening. You love the pack a day podcast. Clearly. Um, any, any thoughts on what green Bay needs to do from an offensive standpoint? I'll just say really quick. Like I think this game for me is the same sort of um, formula that they've been using, get off to a fast start. I, it, man, it is such a night and day difference for this team when they can get off to that quick start. The difference between those halves where they were like barely scraping by getting three points in the first half of games. And you're like, is this team ever going to score a touchdown in the first half to going down and immediately scoring a touchdown and putting the fear of God into opposing teams right away? Like, it's so different. And I think if they can get off to a quick start, I'm not saying it has to be like a 
big play to, you know, a receiver down the field on the opening play and then a, a big touchdown after like even just going down and generating points right away, I think would be a real positive and just to kind of get this game trending in the right direction. Yeah. And for me, it, it goes back to the run game. There's the obvious reasons for all the positive benefits that provides the rest of the offense that we talked about earlier, but for this team, this offense to continue progressing to me, that unit need or that, that element of the game, that run offense needs to continue improving as well. Cause 4.1 yards per rush on the season. While again, it's much improved over where they were. That still ranks close to the bottom third of the NFL in terms of averages. Like there's still a lot of room for growth for that unit if they can do it. And this is a Giants run defense that's given up almost five yards per rush this season. Like based on previous games, the opportunity for the Packers to find success in that capacity should be there. I think doing so is going to be crucial to building upon it for the rest of the season. And of course, in this game specifically, we went through it, the play action, the added time for the quarterback, the how it keeps the defensive off balance. All those additional benefits are are going to give Jordan Love this passing game as well, the opportunity to continue building on their performance as well. So run game and continuing to build on that is going to be key for me. Well said. As always, I could not agree more, and I'm really excited about this game, actually. I think this is a sneaky, really important game for Green Bay, not just from like a playoff standpoint, but just to kind of keep the momentum rolling, make sure that you're not taking your foot off the gas and just kind of keeping the pressure on and just showing that, hey, what what just happened over the course of the past few weeks is not a fluke and they're going to keep bringing the pain to people. That's what I'm excited about. Paul, awesome, awesome stuff. Where can we find all of your amazing work over on Packers Wire and everywhere else that you're doing amazing content? Appreciate you, Andy. As Andy said, follow uh, follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. You can find all my work over at Packers Wire. Hit like and subscribe on YouTube. Channel name is Paul Brettel. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, make sure to go find his YouTube page. It's absolutely awesome. Of course, you can find us here on the Packaday Podcast 365 days a year. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. That does it for us. Should be a really fun week of talking Packers football and checking out Packers Giants this week. Hope everyone's enjoying it. We will see you guys next time. But until next time, and as always, go Paco. Go Paco.